0: All right. We are in John chapter 12, and this evening we'll be looking at verses 42 through verse 50. What we have been seeing thus far is that we are coming into the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. His death is imminent. He had been telling his disciples that it was inevitable that he would go to Jerusalem, be delivered up to the rulers and be crucified, but then raised from the dead on the third day. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for four days. He had come into Jerusalem riding on a, on a, a colt as prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. He had come to the great city of Jerusalem, and he will weep over the city because he had come to his own, and his own had received him not. Now we see that Jesus had revealed himself multiple times that he was indeed the Messiah, and the last of which of those miraculous signs was the raising of Jesus I mean of Lazarus from the dead again we got to remember the theme of the book of John that all these miracles were done to create a sense of awe so that they would be a sign that the messiah was was coming so everything that Jesus did all those miracles were prophesied that he would do, the Messiah would do in, when he came. And we, remember we looked at when John the Baptist sent his disciples up to Jesus, are you the Christ or are we to expect another? John knew he had been revealed from heaven that Jesus was the Messiah. The lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, Uh, The dead will be raised and the gospel will be preached to the poor. Everything that Jesus did was for that purpose. Now, despite all of these miracles, if you take a look at verse 37 of John 12, it says, these things Jesus spoke and he departed and hid himself. But though he had... Though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing. Remember, John said that there were many other signs that are not even recorded. So we don't have everything that, that actually happened, but obviously it was enough for, for what God wanted us to know. But despite all of these signs, they would not believe. Now remember, we looked at why? because the, the heart was hardened. that's why they couldn't believe. I want us to t- and we're told here that John, the apostle, he quotes from Isaiah to explain why these people, despite all these signs, they couldn't believe. I want us to turn to take a look at that passage in the Old Testament turn to John uh, to Isaiah chapter 6 because that is what John quotes from out of the Old Testament Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 Now you may recall that in Isaiah Isaiah, in a vision, has been caught, call, been called up to the very throne room of the living God, and he has a sense of his unholiness because he's in the presence of a holy God. And there, God gives Isaiah his marching orders as a prophet. Okay, and his marching prophet was to go and preach. To the nation of Israel. Now, there, Isaiah, I wouldn't like to have been Isaiah because he didn't really have any converts. <laughs> Jeremiah was very much similar. Not much. He's the weeping prophet. It's a, it's a message of condemnation. Now, notice, in as we read, look at there at Isaiah 6. And look at verses 9 and 10. And here's the commission that the living God gave to Isaiah. He said, Go and tell this people. Now, this is what God told Isaiah to say. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull. And their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Now that's the message that God gave them. Now last week, if you'll recall, we looked at quite a few passages out of the Old Testament and at some of the New Testament passages, demonstrating this remarkable truth. You got two great truths and I've always remembered uh, what J.I. Packard said in his great book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He says you got two truths in the scriptures that run parallel. You got the absolute sovereignty of God and you got human accountability. And these both Both of these are undeniable truths because the scripture is very clear. But they run parallel. They seem to be contradictory. Packer called it an antinomy, meaning two truths that appear contradictory, nonetheless, they are true. He says they run parallel. We can't understand fully how they relate, but in the mind of God, they join and make total sense. We saw that we must never pit that great doctrine of God's sovereignty, of predestination and election against human responsibility because they are friends. And just because we can't understand fully how they relate doesn't mean nonetheless that they aren't true. So the scripture affirms both. We saw that that Pharaoh, his heart was hardened. God says, I'm gonna harden his heart. But we saw what that meant because we looked at all those passages in Exodus. God hardened his heart. In other words, God had a judicial, what we would call a judicial judgment upon Pharaoh, upon Egypt. And that judgment was, you need to let my people go Why aren't you letting my people go? And the scripture says that Pharaoh hardened his heart so that he would not let the people go. It was Pharaoh and he, Pharaoh understood he was sinning because when God would relax, because Pharaoh says, I want you to hold back all these judgments. Okay, okay. But then his heart was hardened again, meaning he sinned again. It says he sinned again again so what we see here pharaoh hardened his heart and yet he sinned what do we also see from scripture israel in the wilderness for 40 years hardened its heart god says don't harden your heart like you did in the wilderness and i became angry with you and i swore in my wrath you'll never enter my my rest why you should have believed why didn't you believe I sent you all these miracles, why didn't you believe? Because you have hardened your heart. And we saw that um, the Northern Kingdom, when the kingdom uh, was split because of Solomon's great sin and the the 10 tribes departed and formed the Northern Kingdom and Judah uh, was in the Southern Kingdom We see that because of the sin of the northern kingdom, they always sinned against God. And in 722 BC, God sent the Assyrians to crush them and to take away all the 10 tribes into captivity. Why? Because they rebelled. And in the southern kingdom, well, it took about maybe almost 200 years before they fell, but because of their unfaithfulness, what did God do? He sends Nebuchadnezzar into uh, Jerusalem and the Babylonians in 586, they will utterly destroy Solomon's temple and and destroy, kill thousands and then take captive some back to Babylon of whom we know who are some of the uh, most notables on that, do we not? Was none of the, uh, that we're gonna talk about in a minute. The four young men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they'll be carried off and will be there for over 70 years until God sends them back. Now we have seen in our opening chapter of the Gospel of John that it says that the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us and it says there in verse in, in John 1 it says that he came to his own but his own did not receive him well who's his own the Jewish nation the people the Messiah has finally come but they didn't receive him and we have seen that Jesus as we've already noted, performed many signs to prove that he was the Messiah. And in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, and we're gonna take a look at Isaiah's prophecy here. It's the second in Isaiah seven. After 700 years, the prophecy will come to pass. Now, what was that prophecy of Isaiah. Well we sing it every year about this time. Turn over to Isaiah chapter seven and look at verses ten through verse fourteen. Isaiah seven ten through fourteen. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying By the way this great prophecy was given to a wicked king of Judah Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God make it deep as Sheol or as high as heaven but Ahaz says I will not ask nor will I test the Lord uh, he could care of less then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will, be, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to to refuse evil and choose good. Now, what we see here, the first sign of the Messiah, because we're talking about signs. The first sign is the revealing to Joseph and Mary that that child that she is carrying is none other than the eternal Son of God. And so this miraculous conception of the eternal Son of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary is the first sign. And so the, the Messiah has finally arrived We saw that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy that he would ride on a donkey. And they were, remember, they were throwing down palm branches before him saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Hosanna means the Lord saving. The Lord is saving us. And so that's what it was meant. They recognized him as the Messiah in some sense, but then they didn't fully understand. So that we're told in our text, if you turn back to John 12, verse 40, that God had blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts so that they could not believe. And again, when it says God hardened their hearts and that he blinded their eyes, that is a judicial judgment. In other words, they hardened their hearts. We looked at those passages. They are the ones who hardened their hearts. They're the ones that saw but refused to believe. Remember, Jesus had just said, these Jews that were, uh, came to him and says, well, just tell us plainly. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, well, I have told you. I have told you. But you just won't believe. You've seen all these signs. And I just performed the greatest of raising this man who'd been dead for four days, whose body was beginning to decompose. So everybody understood even, we saw last week, even the Sanhedrin said, this man Jesus performs many signs. And they understood that this raising of Lazarus was miraculous, but they refused to believe. I think that ties in, I mentioned to Jess this morning, I said, I'm gonna pick up a little bit of what you said this morning, just because that older son, it's very clear in that context, in in that parable, that the older son, the older brother, was the Pharisees and the scribes the self-righteous uh, men who loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. And so they, despite all these things, they would not believe. And so God judicially pronounced judgment on them. Remember, Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, he seized the great city, the holy city, Remember Jerusalem was the holiest place on the face of the earth and the temple of Solomon was the holiest place on the face of the earth. But now that temple would be no longer, Jesus says it's not my house anymore, it's not my father's, it's your house and the day is coming, not one stone of this temple will be left standing. And he weeps over Jerusalem. Why did he weep? He says, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. It's your fault. It's your sin that has brought this tragedy upon yourself and in your children's children in about 70 years when the Romans will come. But remember, their hardening of their hearts will reach its zenith with the coming of Jesus. Turn over to Matthew 23. And Jesus explains again just how bad the religious leaders were. Take a look at Matthew 23, verses 24 down through verse 39. You blind guides, who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, notice he called him, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup. who's cleaning? You're responsible for cleaning the cup. And of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you build the tombs of the prophets, "'adorn the monuments of the righteous, "'and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, "'we would not have been partakers with them "'in shedding the blood of the prophets. "'Consequently,' Jesus says, "'you bear witness against yourselves.'" that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation, who are, who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." You know when it says you're gonna fill up the measure of God's wrath? You know, that, that measure was filled up in that intervening time. It's believed that Jesus was crucified in 33 AD. What do you think the book of Acts records but the going to the Gentile world, going to the Jews and to the Gentile world going from synagogue to synagogue, what happened to the apostle Paul when he would go to the synagogues? He met great hostility, right? And finally to the point he says, I'm gonna leave, we're gonna to go to the Gentiles and then they'll believe. He says, you're gonna go, and you're, going, you're what, what Jesus was saying to these Jews, you are going to, you're, what you're doing, I'm pronouncing a judicial judgment on you, you are filling up the measure of the cup of God's wrath and it's going to flow over and it's going to culminate in 70 AD when I will come as the one, as he told the Sanhedrin in Matthew 26, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God coming on the clouds, meaning judgment. They had all those signs. It didn't do them any good. And it was tragic. Israel in 70 AD, national Israel came to an end. You know, when the Romans came in, the Roman general Titus, when he laid siege, he did not want the temple burned. But because of the anger, because what the Roman army had heard what was going on in Jerusalem, like a mother killing her infant son and eating him because people were starving. When the word got back to the Romans, they said, we will show no mercy. He he told them, do not burn the temple. His soldiers were out of control and he couldn't stop it. But God had pronounced judicial judgment and he would use a Roman army to do his bidding of bringing that judgment. And so national Israel perished. Proverbs 14, 34, and 35 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causes shame. Now, let me digress for a moment, but it's not going to be that much of a digression because I think it's fitting. The United States, without a question, I think, has been one of the most blessed nations ever in the history of the world. But if you think that God is going to spare this nation because we are the United States of America, then we're very naive. Already, we see Romans one being lived out in our very present day. You know, this, this whole affirmation of the homosexual agenda is not that that will bring judgment. No, the fact that we are where we are is the sign that judgment is upon us. That is the fulfillment of Romans 1. You know, just this past week, the United States Senate voted 61 to 36 the passage of the same-sex marriage bill, granting Federal Protection to Gay Marriages. Now, there were a lot of Republicans that joined the Democrats in voting in it. So they have officially granted official status to these gay marriages. You know, back in the late 1970s, Greg Bonson wrote a book. I I recommend you get it. It was a book on homosexuality, and in that book, he stated, he posed the question. Here's the question that he posed. Does the homosexual have a civil right to their lifestyle? He said that the granting of civil rights to that group would open Pandora's box and regarding sexual morality, and it would lead to the destruction and the integrity of the family. That's what he said in 1970s. He never lived to see the full-blown fact that what he said had come to pass. He died in 1995. Do you think that God is going to bless a nation that openly sanctions that which God explicitly says in his word is an abomination, which is that kind of a lifestyle. Do you think that God is going to bless a nation that openly advocates the murder of the unborn? You think God's going to bless a nation like that? You know, there are, there, are many, there are many Christians in this country who have been praying, I, for one and others, praying for a revival. But I, I, I don't know what, what is going to happen in that, that time frame. I know biblical history. And it may be that God has to crush the United States and drive it to its knees before it repents. That may be what he has to do. You know, after all, when God brought judgment, for example, when he brought Nebuchadnezzar against uh, Jerusalem and they destroyed it, destroyed the temple, as I said, killed thousands, but then they carried off a remnant of which were Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were four of those that they carried off. So, what do we learn about them in the book of Daniel, by the way, about those young men? Well, in defiance of the civil rulers, they said, "When Nebuchadnezzar says, when the when the sound the horn blows, then everybody is to bow to this great statue of me." And when everybody bowed, these three were still standing. Well, into the uh, into the fiery furnace you will go. And they said, "Well, we're willing to go." And whether or not our God will save us is irrelevant. One thing is for sure. We're not going to bow down to your image. That was the boldness. And God miraculously, as you know the story, delivered them out of the out of that fiery furnace. Those throwing them in, the furnace was so hot, that those throwing them in were burned to death. <laughs> Daniel, because he... Um, defied the civil rulers when they said, you cannot pray openly in public. What did he do? He deliberately went out on his balcony and prayed so that they would see him, so he would be arrested. And he was thrown in the lion's den. But you know the story there, God delivered them. God doesn't always deliver those who are uh, bold for the faith, But you know what, here's what we need to understand. Without a moral base rooted in the law of God, those of us who are in leadership, particularly in the church, we've, we've got to have the courage to stand on God's word and God's word alone and be willing to pay the price to, to remain faithful to the scriptures and despite what may done. You know, as teaching elders, Jess and I, we took an, a vow, an oath before God to uphold the standards, to uphold the scriptures, to uphold the confession of faith, which we believe reveals the truth of the word of God at all costs, to whatever it may come to us because that's our responsibility. And there are others that may, we may have to pay the price. You know that there are are pastors in Canada that had to pay the price. That would not shut down their church during the, the pandemic. And we we know in Canada, it it was sad. There was a father who refused to acknowledge his daughter who wanted to be a transgender. He refused. uh, He wanted to still call her a female, as she was. And you know what they did to him? They threw him in jail and fined him $30,000. That's what they did March of 2021, a year ago. That's what they did. This is where we are. And so the thing about it is, back in John 12, Jesus is coming to his people and they will not receive him. He is the Messiah, he has done the signs of the Messiah, but they would not believe. And therefore, he's going to judge them. Take a look at John 12, verse 41. And following, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Now verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. That means the rulers of the Sanhedrin. But, notice that word but, because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now here what we see, remember what I mentioned to you, it's very important that we learn that the Bible makes a distinction in terms of belief in Jesus. There is a belief in Jesus that recognizes him as a great prophet and as the Messiah. That's one belief, but it's a belief that does not save one from their sins. And there's another belief that believes and yet will fully trust in Jesus and will confess him even to the point that it may cost them their lives. So notice that those here that were saying they believed in him, they were unwilling to openly confess him lest they would be thrown out of the synagogue, meaning be excommunicated. We just looked at, do you not remember, in John 9, in the healing of the blind man, that he was given so much grief by the rulers and that this blind man was willing to hold fast and consequently, you know what they did? They excommunicated him. To him out of the synagogue, and there's that great line where Jesus, hearing what happened to him, Jesus searches him out to commend him. So this blind man understood, and yet these rulers, they acknowledge something special, just like Nicodemus for a time. When he came to Jesus in John three says, we know you gotta be a prophet from God because nobody can do the things that you do unless he's sent from God. But at least at that point, Nicodemus had not trusted himself, which I believe later he obviously did. And so we gotta be sure that our belief is the right right type of belief. Turn, Turn with me to Matthew 10. Now remember, these rulers who were believing him were not confessing him, it says there in verse 42. Turn to Matthew 10 and let's let's read what Jesus said about such people. Look at Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Every Everyone, therefore, who shall, what, confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Why did these rulers who said that believed but did not confess because they did not want to pay the price of being cast out of the synagogue. So what do you think, Jesus? He, Jesus was speaking exactly about those kind of people. You and I have to be willing to confess before men our allegiance to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says, It doesn't matter what may come to you. If you're not willing to confess me before men, I'm not going to confess you before my Father. In other words, you're not in the kingdom of God. We could call them fair-weather Christians. Way back when Jeff started his messages on the parable, remember he started with the sower and the seed? What was the nature of the seeds sowed on the shallow ground? It comes up quickly, but but when trials come, they quickly wither away. You know, there's a, a real example of this in the New Testament. Turn over to the book of Acts chapter 8. An example of people who believe, but it's not a saving belief. We're told in Acts chapter eight, Philip goes up to Samaria and he's preaching and God is doing miraculous things and we're told that there was a, a man named by the name of Simon who realized he basically was an illusionist, I believe. But when he saw what was going on with them, he realized this is, this is not a fake, this is the real thing. And he wanted to buy with money the ability to do what the apostles were doing. Now we're told in Acts chapter 8, Look at verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike, verse 13, and even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip As he observed signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. So, he wanted to buy that. If you jump down to verse 18, we're told, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Now that statement right there says, he he was still dead in his sins. Now, did he repent? It's interesting what Simon says, verse 24. But Simon says, oh, you pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you said will come upon me. He couldn't even bring it to himself to repent. Oh, I want you to pray for me. He not pray for him. You know, history records that Simon Magus will go on to become a great enemy of the Apostle John in Ephesus. And a lot of heresies will come come out as a result of Simon Magus. Remember, it says he believed and was baptized, but he had no part in this matter. And so, you know, many... There are many people who come short of the glory of God. And how do they come short? Because they desire the applause of men and they value that more than they value the approval of God. And that's exactly what Jesus said there in John 12, what John says, verse 43. Why didn't they confess him? Jesus, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. They didn't want to be seen identified with Jesus. You may have heard people say, well, I don't go out, I don't publicly talk about my faith in Jesus. Basically what they are, they're closet Christians. Well, okay, you can do that. But that kind of person, would be helpful to point them to Matthew 10, what Jesus says. If, if you're not willing to confess me, in other words, there's no such thing as a closet Christian. There is it. And so what we see here is that these men love the approval of, of men, they were unwilling to follow Jesus if that meant to be identified with them and pay a price. You know, Jesus, we're told in John 12 that Jesus cried out. That means it's an emphatic, he cries out, it says here. Verse 44, Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me, does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He says, ultimately, faith in me is believing the Father because I came from the Father. He's the one that sent me. I'm, all the things that I'm doing, I'm doing because the Father told me to do these things. Jesus said in the previous chapter or the earlier part of John 12, he says, I am the light of the world believe in the light while you still have the light cuz i'm not going to be with you very longer so you better believe in other words today is the day of salvation don't delay that's what paul said to the corinthians jesus in the gospel provides the light to know eternal life remember he began his ministry in galilee of the gentiles there in matthew 4 He came to those who were sitting in darkness, it says, under the shadow of death. They saw a great light. Well, what light was that? Jesus and his miracles, which were signs of him being the Messiah. And Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, verses 47 and 40 through 49 reveal the tragedy of not believing in the light. When Jesus came the first time, it was not in judgment. He says, verse 47, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Well, we got to recognize that in his first advent, he came to save sinners, not to pronounce ultimate condemnation on them at that time. Turn back to John 3. Turn back to John 3 and look at verses 17 through 19. following the most famous verse in the Bible, which is John three sixteen, which I will read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. The great tragedy was the great light had arrived and the great light, was preached not only by the light himself, but that light was preached by the apostles. And Jesus says, my first coming was to save sinners. This was your opportunity. I came to my own, but you didn't receive me. Why didn't you receive me? Because your heart, you loved the darkness more and that's why you didn't come. Let me just mention, turn over to Luke chapter 10. This is the responsibility that you and I, all of us have with the gospel. Luke 10, verses 10 through 16. Now Jesus has sent his the 70 out to preach to the cities of Israel. In verse 10 of Luke 10, he says, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida, for if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, by the way, Capernaum was where Jesus did most of his ministry, will not be called to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to hell. The one who listens to you listens to me And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. As Jesus says, I'm not the one here right now condemning you. You will condemn, your own words will condemn you by refusing to to come to the Messiah. You have brought it upon yourself is what you have done. You have hardened your heart and you will not come. You see with your eyes, but you really don't see. You hear with your ears, but you really don't hear. Just just like Isaiah said, that's what would be true of you. And then we, we conclude with, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus says, I've had one purpose in coming in this world is to save sinners. And I will be faithful. I will lay down my life voluntarily to save those whom you, Father, has chosen from the foundation of the earth. And so Jesus here is <clears throat> has come as the Messiah, and tragically, they did not receive him. Again, I've said this, and I'll conclude with this. Anytime you talk to people about Jesus, <clears throat> You have God is using you to give them an opportunity, and it may be the last opportunity they will ever have. And if it turns out to be the last opportunity on that, and they don't believe, and they're standing before Jesus as just preached in in Matthew twenty-five, and they're the goats. I, we don't know what Jesus will say. In 2022, a young lady came to you preaching Jesus, and you didn't. You refused to believe. And then two weeks later, you died, and now you're here. Why didn't you believe when she came to you preaching Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we, we stand amazed. You are a sovereign God. You have chosen us before the foundation of the world. We can't come because we're dead in our sins unless you draw us. And yet at the same time, if we don't come, it's our fault. We we don't fully understand this, but that's okay. Your word is true. Just help us to embrace the glory of who Jesus is in your word. For his for his name's sake. Amen.